Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. And complete the sweep of the Celtics this season. 3-0 in favor of Philly. Back out, gets it back from Smart. Eight in the shot clock. Over to Smart. Takes it. Got it! Take that! You're going to leave Marcus Smart late in the game? Yes, of course I am, Scalabrini. Welcome into another episode of The Clap Trap. I am here to talk and start off with the Celtics as they have just come off of a nice little win against the New York Knicks, which in previous seasons you wouldn't have thought that that was such a big deal. But this year, this season, where we're sitting in the standings, that was actually a huge game and a huge win for the Celtics. That's kind of sad, huh? We were battling with the Knicks for the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. That's a tough one there. But yes, Scalabrini, of course I'm going to leave Marcus Smart open at the end of a game because I have no confidence in him, personally. I don't know about you out there in Celtics land and green team land, uh, how everyone's feeling about Marcus recently. You know how I've been feeling. If you've been listening to me for the past couple of episodes there, I need less shooting from him. Sure, it's okay. He shot a wide open three, and he hit it. And he's going to do that from time to time. I'm just talking about in general. I usually am still going to scream no about that. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. You're not going to be able to convince me anything. Otherwise, he needs to shoot less. But as I said, uh, and as you heard in those pre uh, previews of, of what the last two games have been like, basically, we got spanked by the 76ers. And then we were able to eke out a a close win against the Knicks. And those two games were kind of big as far as what we needed from the Celtics because these were two games that you didn't have your new uh, acquisition from the trade deadline, which is Evan Fournier, who had just started getting much better for the Celtics. So we are now sitting at a record of 26 and 26. We have sole possession of seventh place in the Eastern Conference. Woo! Great job, Celtics. All right, we got a good position in the standings now, right? Wrong. But like I said, uh, we are dealing with the the COVID uh, issues that Evan Fournier is, is uh, going through right now. It looks as though he will be out until at least April 13th due to uh, the, the different COVID protocols and things like that. Uh, but he was just starting to catch fire. You know, I had been complaining about him for the first couple of games. I'm sure everyone had been because he had not hit any shots. And then all of a sudden, he goes on a tear back-to-back games, hitting 10 threes in a row uh, over the span of those two games before coming down with COVID. So that was really nice to see. Uh, you know, because the Celtics and Danny Ainge specifically put a lot of eggs into the basket of the Evan Fournier trade. Uh, and, you know, it's, 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 to me, was not a good use of the assets, but you can see what he was looking for out of this player. Good scoring off of the bench, uh, something that the Celtics team is going to need going forward. I think that we're going to need a lot more than just that, though, as well. So he is going to be missing uh, the Timberwolves game tonight, the Nuggets game on Sunday, and then he possibly will even miss the Trailblazers game on Tuesday the 13th, depending on how the protocol situation goes with that. So no Evan Fournier, and it is a time of the year where the Celtics need to really start getting back on track. We need to try and move up the standings as much as we can because if we are sitting around the 7th, 8th spot by the time that the playoffs start and you have to be talking about playing in the play-in game situation for the NBA, that's going to be really sad. With the amount of talent that this team has or is supposed to have, uh, between the coaching, the the, the players, uh, you know, it should be an easy task to get up into the top six, top five teams in the Eastern Conference. But hey, this has been a tough year for the team and a tough year for how the players are reacting to things. So it's going to be a lot. It is going to be a lot. Talking about the Celtics currently to start off the show today. Uh, you know, I am not super impressed by these last two games, as I was saying before. Uh, you got your butt completely kicked by the 76ers, 
and then you just barely get a win against the Knicks. That is not going to be what I am looking for out of this team. Uh, you know, the Sixers used to be considered for the last two, three seasons as an easy win for this Celtics team. I think we need to start reevaluating that if we haven't already as Celtics fans, as now the Sixers have swept us in the season series. And I don't think that they're just an easy win. You know, uh, a lot of people thought that myself included over the last couple of seasons, that if you got into a playoff series with the 76ers, it was not going to be a big deal. Embiid and Simmons can't coexist. Uh, and, and, you know, it seems as though that that team was not destined to do anything big. And then in comes Doc Rivers. And it seems as though just the coaching change alone has really changed a lot of things for that team. They're working better together. They're working harder. It seems like Embiid is very engaged and, and, and wanting to win as much as possible. You saw it in that 76ers game. Uh, when there was moments where the Celtics would look like they were starting to get back into the game and then they'd just pass it straight to Embiid and he would dominate down low, get a dunk, get a foul, whatever it was going to be. He was going to be able to do whatever he wanted to to us at that point. So that was really deflating on a lot of uh, in a lot of situations for the team in that game. So, you know, that is that is something that as green teamers out there, I think everyone needs to understand that the Sixers are not just going to go away and they're not going to be an easy win in the playoffs. I think we all have to consider them a threat now to the Celtics chances, the way that the Celtics have been playing this year uh, and the way that the teams match up right now. Embiid is clearly too dominant for any of our bigs. He already was before, but he definitely is now. Uh, you know, with the signs of uh, or seeing what Robert Williams was able to do against him, which was not much. He got dominated and fouled out of the game uh, by the end of the third, early fourth quarter. And so, you know, are we going to be able to match up with him? And is it just going to be a situation where if the Celtics are not hitting from three, we're not going to be able to even stand a chance against a team like that? I don't know. We're going to have to find out a little bit more as we continue going, but... The fact that they only barely won against the Knicks team, even though the Knicks are playing really good this season and and Julius Randle is legit and has you know is the most improved or one of the most improved players this year, um, I think that the team that is constructed, this Celtics team as constructed, is much more talented than that New York Knicks team, and you should not be struggling to beat that team. I I understand that Thibodeau is a really good defensive coach. You know, he, he kind of knows how to break down another team. We've seen it before. He's been on our, our team on the other side of the ball. So we've seen it in full force, and he's clearly found a good option in Randall, as I said. Um, but the remainder of the team is not that great. So to, to look at that team and act as if, you know, this was a really big win that they shouldn't have definitely dominated, I, I don't know. That's kind of crazy to me. I think that they should have been – you know, taking advantage of a Knicks team that is not as good as you are. But as we've seen with this whole entire season, you can't expect what is to be expected from the Celtics, right? We shouldn't just look at the talent on paper and assume that the Celtics are going to be good enough to beat these teams that we all think they should beat. So at this point right now, uh, it is a big win. It is a big win against the, the Knicks. It's a big win to get sole possession of seventh place uh, and slowly start to move up in the standings. That's what they need to start doing because I'm telling you, people, if we get into a situation where we have to do the play-in round where it's the seventh plays the eighth place team and whoever loses plays the ninth place team and then go on and on until you play the tenth place team, I don't know what's going to happen with the Celtics. I need us to be specifically into a series against an opponent that we know and we can set up for. I don't want to be worried about are we going to have to play in the play-in games. So I just want to talk a, a little bit next about the Jalen Brown post-game post presser talk that he was talking about there. So we're going to get into that a little bit next. Are you interested in working in a professional studio environment? Whether you're a podcaster, new or old, or a musician just trying to get that professional sound, Ultrasound Production Studio is now available for podcasters, musicians, and everyone in between that are looking to get that great quality and production value that comes from working out of a professional studio. If you're interested in something like that, 
please visit the website at ultrasoundproductions.com or just email ultrasoundpro at yahoo.com or even call at 781-956-2426 for more information. We are talking about the Celtics currently. I was uh, starting to get into what the team has been doing over the last couple of games. Uh, you know, Evan Fournier has finally turned it on. You saw that against, uh, you know, the Hornets um, and how he continued to be able to shoot threes, lights out for two games in a row, and then he gets corona or he gets into the COVID protocol. So then we get into some situations where it's that same team again against the Sixers and the Knicks, and you go one and one against those teams. So, you know, a little up and down roller coaster ride after winning a couple of uh, games there in a row and, you know, having a good start to April. Uh, now you have a, a game against the Timberwolves tonight, which should be a win. But once again, I can never promise anything like that in this season here. Then you play the Nuggets and Trailblazers, who are legit Western Conference teams. So after the Knicks game, we did hear a little bit from Jalen Brown, and I wanted to kind of dissect what he was saying in those comments. Um, so I'm going to play that right now for you guys, a uh, little clip, and, and, and then we're going to go over it and, and what I thought about these reactions after the New York Knicks games, uh, game by Jalen Brown. Hey, Jalen. Brad was just talking about how this is the old-school kind of Celtics basketball physical kind of win. Um, what, what was different about tonight that, that you guys were able to find this kind of response where you haven't been able to find it in as many games in the past? Uh, yesterday was a tough one for us. That wasn't our best showing. So, you know, I talked to JT before the game and we almost had to just forget, you know, about everything. And I just said, let's just come out and play and play basketball, be aggressive and just be your best version of, of ourselves. There's it, so much outside noise, you know, so many things that um, is shifting around. I just needed to come out and, and be Jalen. Our team, you know, our team played great together tonight. Hey, Jalen, kind of along those same lines, just obviously this has been a really trying year. How many times have you guys had to have, you know, conversations like that this season? Um, we probably should have those conversations just more. You know, sometimes uh, the way things are going, you know, and then how much pressure we get from you guys in the media kind of, you know, makes us – less, you know, open to talk or, you know, more upset about things that, you know, aren't that big of a deal, you know, in hindsight, you know, things could be worse. Um, I think we still have a chance to, to make a run and we still have a chance to, to, to do everything that we said we wanted to do. Um, so sometimes just one game just tends to carry over. And today we didn't let that happen. Okay, so those are the comments that Jalen Brown made after the Knicks game. Um, and as you heard him say, he had pulled Jason Tatum aside before the game uh, to calm him down, I guess, or to just talk to him about how they need to just get back to being themselves and not listening to the outside noise, which I always think is a good idea. I don't understand. I, I get it. I get that these players listen to media but of all of the sports media you're going to listen to Boston sports media which can have some of the craziest individuals out there saying the most ridiculous things myself included come on you're a professional athlete you, you know don't be succumbing to the naysayers in the media and letting it affect you that much from what Jalen Brown is saying there what I'm just dissecting or, or uh, you know taking from what he said is that he had to literally tell Jason Tatum to stop listening to the haters, right? He had to tell Tatum that, you know, it, it shouldn't be affecting you this much. That, you know, this kind of talk, negative talk that you're going to get from especially Boston sports media, it's going to happen all the time. We just love to complain. That's just how it is. Especially the, the, the crybabies that are, uh, you know, so used to winning for the last 20 years, right? I kind of can't stand those fans at this point, but, you know, when you expect too much from your teams all the time, you're going to have a lot of negative thoughts and a lot of negative, you know, things to say when 
when your team isn't doing as good as you think they should be doing. And I'm not saying that they're wrong on this Celtics team. I think that they should be doing a lot better that they're do- that they're doing. Uh, I think everyone thinks that, right? But the fact that it's affecting Jason Tatum so much that Jalen Brown had to actually sit him down and have a talk with him about ignoring that shows a lot to me about how much he still needs to mature. Talking about Tatum here. Now, I'm not willing to go as far as what Coach Kamire has said in the past episode, uh, calling Tatum soft yet. But I still definitely think there's a lot of growing up that needs to be done from this player uh, in order for us to get to that next level. I think that it's very important for him to understand that he needs to just focus on being himself and, and, and being a strong player, right? Focus on his game. Don't care about what anyone else thinks. Now, we've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think that you have the best of what you need to make an actual perfect superstar in both of your top players on this Celtics roster. You have all the skill and talent of a superstar in the making in Jason Tatum. And then you have the actual grit and knowledge in Jalen Brown. Now, if you could put those two things together, you would create the ultimate superstar NBA player. But unfortunately, we basically have those two personalities split into our two best players. Uh, And one of them is a superstar already. Though he just turned 23 at the beginning of March, and, you know, everyone is considering him a superstar at this point, myself included, right? I wasn't giving him that last year, but I am this year. And then you have Jalen Brown, who is going to be a perennial all-star. I don't believe that he's a superstar. I don't ever think that he'll get to that area, but he's going to be a solid number two, I think, once Tatum matures, But right now, it almost seems like there are times and moments where it's Jalen Brown's team more than it's Tatum's team. And it doesn't mean that Jalen Brown is more talented than Tatum. It just means that Jalen Brown has his head on his shoulders a little bit more. He's smarter. He can figure out that, you know, you can't listen to the outside noise. You just have to be you and play the game that you know and love the way that you're supposed to play it. So those comments right there just were a glaring issue to me about Jason Tatum and his maturity levels. I've talked about this many times before. It takes every superstar, every great player, at least seven seasons to get to a championship level. And Tatum is only 23 currently. So I know that a lot of people don't want to give him a break for being young. I get it. He's been to a couple of conference championships. He's been to, you know, made playoff runs, all of that since he's been in the NBA. And that's because we've had really good teams. But there is still a lot of maturing that needs to be done in this player, and I think that's pretty evident at this point. Talking about the Celtics a little bit more, I wanted to talk one last topic about them, and that's basically just who to put the blame on with this team right now. Now, I know that they've gotten back to 500, and we've gotten seventh place under control here, and it's starting to look a little bit better when Evan Fournier is in the lineup, though he's going to be out for the next couple of games, so we'll see how they can piece it together until then. But a lot of people are trying to uh, assess who they need to place blame on with this team. And I think that a lot of people have put it on the coach, Brad Stevens, and that that is warranted in a lot of senses because he is clearly not getting the best out of these players. And it keeps bringing up the fact that maybe he just can't coach superstar talent. You know, maybe Brad is made best for the Bridgie-type teams, the teams with the Isaiah Thomases of the world, that are going to give you 150% effort every single night, and though they don't have the talent or physical abilities of some of the other teams and players in the NBA, you're at least going to love the team's grit and effort all the time. I loved those Celtics teams. We all did, right? The majority of us did. I know all the green teamers did. But there was a lot of people that didn't like certain players in that in those teams, right? The the guys who did a lot of the unselfish moves and uh, just made the plays that weren't for stats and it wasn't about iso ball. It was about moving and playing defense and, and, and all of that. And those were the teams that really seemed to, you know, dominate the regular season and do good work in the playoffs. But since then, we've slowly gotten rid of players left and right. Players who 
were willing to work that system, that Brad Stevens system, and regardless of how you felt about those players, they are missed at this point. It's those players not being on the team right now that has changed the whole attitude of the team. So yes, I do put some blame on Brad Stevens for not being able to control his locker room, for letting the personalities get out of control and, and you know, take the reins and, and do things like Marcus Smart throwing chairs in the locker room and it doesn't seem like he gets reprimanded for it or, you know, clear situations where it seems as though Brad Stevens wrote up a play and then they just go do iso ball and, and ignore him, things like that. That stuff is unexcusable on Brad Stevens as a coach. You need to have a little bit better grip of your locker room there. But that's not to say that the players aren't to blame as well, right? You guys are in charge. And, and, and you know, we talk about it in a lot of sports. It's the players still have to do everything, right? Whenever anybody wants to argue against a coach doing anything for a team, it's the fact that, oh, they don't touch the ball, they don't, they don't do any of the actual physical activities, so you got to put a lot of blame on the players as well if you're thinking that way, right? And when it comes to this team, it seems like in a lot of situations up until now, I don't know how the remainder of the season is going to go, but up until now, it's been all about me, 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 iso ball, not passing it. You know, one player gets it five seconds into the shot clock, they're jacking up a shot, um, maybe one pass, and that's it. There's been shining moments where you'll get the drive and dish out of Kemba or, you know, the good ball movement from Marcus Smart. But a lot of the time, it's Tatum dribbling up and taking a random shot. It's Jalen trying to get too aggressive and, and taking on multiple players by himself when other players are open and just jacking up a shot. Uh, you know, it's, it's Marcus Smart. I don't know how many times I can complain about him, but that is not going to win you a lot of games, especially in the regular season. The regular season, you can beat up on teams for just playing good team basketball, and that's what the Celtics had done for the last three to five years. But now, now that it is Tatum and Brown's team, it seems as though we've changed our whole identity, and I put a lot of that blame on the players. But the person that I'm putting the most blame for is on Danny Ainge, right? You guys have heard me complain about him before. I'm not his biggest fan. I've said a lot of pretty mean things about the way that he's done his job for the last, you know, 10 years. And I think that the biggest part of the blame pie needs to be focused on the person that put this roster together, I get that you wanted to go with the youth movement and slowly let your players develop. I get all of that. But you still need to pick the right veterans to be around those players to motivate them in the correct ways. And it seems as though he has just made wrong decision after wrong decision when it comes to the personnel that they are able to bring onto this team. We can talk about the fact that he brought in Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson this year. And though Tristan Thompson is a solid player, it seems like his value lies more in the fact that he is signed to Clutch Sports Agency than the actual value he brings on the court for your team. Now, if you haven't heard this take that has been circulating around the sports media world, it is that the main reason that the Celtics are still keeping uh, Tristan Thompson in the lineup and such a focal point and the starter starting center when he's healthy is because he's signed by clutch sports. So for you, those of you who don't know clutch sports is a sports agency that is the agent of LeBron James of Anthony Davis of some of the biggest names in the NBA. I believe they have Draymond green, a lot of other talent. I, I would have to look up the rest of the names, but prom I promise you and trust me on this one. The big names that you're going to want in the NBA, the majority of them are signed with Clutch or they're going to be signed with Clutch soon enough. So the thought process is you keep a player like Tristan Thompson as happy as possible. He's only going to have nice things to say to the Clutch athletes, Clutch agents. That is going to bode well for you in the future for getting high-talented players that are most likely going to be signing with this sports agency. So... 
You may or may not believe that. I personally believe that that is true because for me, Tristan Thompson was solid, but the amount that they're kind of forcing him to keep that starting role and to keep that uh, you know position in the team, I get that he's a good locker room presence, but I think that you could have done a lot more, Danny Ainge, than just grabbing him. Now, this is going to go back to me continuing to complain about the one trade that I think that he missed out on this year just because he was trying to be too much of a bully, which he's been doing since back when he got uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets to give him a, a boatload of picks for a bunch of aging veterans. It seems like ever since, he's always trying to screw over the other team, and if he doesn't get to the point where it's just a, an overall uh, hands-down win for the Celtics in the trade, he's not willing to do it. So I go back to it, I continue to do it, but the Gordon Hayward, uh, you know, Allowing him to leave was such a mismanagement of assets. You allowed Gordon Hayward to leave instead of trading him to the team that he wanted to play for, the Indiana Pacers. And the Pacers were reportedly willing to give you Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. Who, if you ask me, would have been much more valuable to this team that we have this year than Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague. I get that Doug McDermott doesn't play the same position as Jeff Teague, but as we've seen, it's not like they were going to play him much anyways. And you have the the emergence of Peyton Pritchard, who everyone loves. Um, and then you went out and you got Fournier at the trade deadline, which ended up being what you traded Gordon Hayward for, basically, if you break it down. But you were given the option to go get the uh, highest averaging block getter in the league right now. I didn't really describe that correctly, but Miles Turner is averaging the most blocks per game right now in the league. He's been doing it all year. He's a dominating defensive presence. He's a double-double guy, a 10-10 and 10 guy, which Tristan Thompson can get up to eight, nine rebounds in a game, but he's probably only scoring six, seven points in the game, right? So not as much of an impact on the offensive side. Miles Turner can shoot threes. Right? I know I gush about this player a lot, but I just think that it was such a mismanagement of the asset that you have to keep bringing it up because when people talk about the blame on this team, if you're not going to give the biggest part of that blame pie to Danny Ainge, I think you're wrong right now. Yes, I think that it's on the coach. Yes, I think it's on the players. Those are two huge parts of it. But if Danny Ainge doesn't put the good pieces into the locker room, for Brad Stevens to work with, and for Tatum and Brown to work alongside with, then what are we supposed to do when that team is starting to fall apart and, and they're not reacting the way that they should? I think you blame the GM in this situation here. It's time to switch gears. We were just talking about the Celtics, but now I think it's time to move on to the Bruins. Oh, yeah, you hear that goal sound in the background there. That means it's time to talk about this good Bruins team that just pulled off a great win against the Capitals. Now, I hope you guys were watching that one there, and I hope that you were watching as our new favorite goalie, Swayman, was able to do it again and pull off another great victory for the Bruins in net. Now, this Jeremy Swayman kid is now officially 2-0 in his NHL career. And uh, in that game against the Capitals there, he's he's given up four total goals at this point. But in that game against the Capitals, the only two goals that he gave up were in two five-on-three situations. All right? Now, that is something, and in that game there, it was a ridiculous situation with the way that the the penalties went, the uh, the goal situation went. I thought it was all kind of crazy. So what happened was uh, the, the Bruins had gotten two penalties in one play from one player. Basically, he tripped the guy, and then he also shoved him down. So it was a tripping and then a roughing call. So two two-minute minors on the same player to start that off. So. Right out the gate there, you have a five-on-four situation. Then you get another penalty to put us in a five-on-three situation. During that initial few seconds of the five-on-three situation, 
They had a great face-off win for the Capitals, and they won it right back to Ovechkin in his spot, and he hammered one up glove or blocker side over the right shoulder of Swayman there. So in hockey, as uh, most of you hockey fans know, when you score a goal on the power play, you then lose that man advantage. Well, the way that it had happened was because there was the two penalties on the original player to start off, when that goal was scored, the first penalty was taken off the board. So it still remained a five-on-three situation, which is a very rare situation that you see, and it was only due to the fact that they had scored so quickly. So right off the bat, they get the puck back again, and then you have Oshi, same situation, uh, in a good spot on the left side, and he gets it right over the blocker side, shoulder of Swayman again off of a great pass. Not really much you can do as a goaltender, in five-on-three situations, it's very hard to stop that overall. You need some luck, you need some good defense, and then maybe you can get out of that situation. But what I'm basically trying to say from this is you have a rookie goaltender who is 22 years old, and he just made his first start the other day against Philadelphia in which he did give up two goals, but off of 42 shots. So in his first NHL game, he has to face 42 NHL shots and saves 40 of them. That's crazy. Then he plays the Washington Capitals, a Bruins nemesis, and only gives up the two goals on the five-on-three situations, which you can't blame him for at all. So basically what I'm saying, people, is we may have a new goaltender in Boston, somebody who's going to be able to come in and make us not worry or think about the Tuka Rass situation. So, so we were just going over the fact that my new favorite goalie for the team is Jeremy Swayman. Uh, and I'm just going to ride this high until it, it goes away. Uh, you know, it's a young kid. Like I said, he's 22, but he's just won back-to-back starts to start off his NHL career, back-to-back four to two victories um, to start off his career for the Bruins. And I'm excited. I'm excited about this player. Uh, I want to see what he can do in these situations, and I'm excited that the team is getting back on track. Uh, they have won three of their last four. The one that they lost in that uh, you know, other situation was an overtime loss, which, man, that one hurt. Uh, we're talking about the Philly game, the first Philly game there, um, in which we lost 3-2 to in overtime in a situation where if you were watching the game, it was really upsetting. Bergeron, one of my favorite players of all time, uh, it, you know, skating back in uh, in a situation where he needed to be the last defender, and he just catches an edge and falls right on his butt. It was not a good situation. Uh, you know, you you left basically um, Vladar with a a breakaway situation because of that falling down, and he wasn't able to handle it. So um, the Bruins were only able to get a an overtime loss against Philly in that one, and then they were able to beat up on them in the next game and win uh, four to two, uh, which was I would say not as close as that score would would suggest there, but. That game, uh, the overtime game, was huge, too, because of the fact that you're trying to stay as far away from Philly in the standings, right? Right now, you're sitting at a record of 21-10-6. Great job over the last 10 games, going 6-2-2. 48 points, which is six points ahead of the Flyers in the division for fourth place. So that is huge. All you need to be is a top-four team in your division to make the playoffs, all right, with this new the new rules of this COVID year, all you need to do is get into the top four. So right now, with a six-point lead over the Flyers, that is a really solid advantage that the Bruins have. So we need to keep it going. The trade deadline is coming up, and I'm hoping that we're not going to be sellers in this market. Now, I do still think that there should be some looks into what we can do or what we can get for a player like Krejci who is on the last year of his contract and you are most likely going to just lose at the end of the year. Yes, I hope that he can stay and be a good piece for the team for the rest of the year. But if we're talking about the value that you can get from this player, is it going to be better if you trade him at the trade deadline? Or is it going to be better if you try and hold on to him and hope that he can come through with another good playoff performance, which he's done for the last two seasons? So 
Will this team make a move? Will they try and trade DeBrusque? Is there even any value in trading DeBrusque? Should we just hold on to that player? I know that I've talked about before how the Bruins are already scared that sending him to another team is just going to motivate him more, which I still found very laughable because how would you trade any player if that was the way that you thought? But anyways, I'm excited. I'm excited about this Bruins team right now as I have been most of the season, right? I thought that we've had, obviously, our lulls. That happens in a hockey season. I think that the defense, obviously, has been very young all year, and the, the older players are at the back end, uh, and and because of injuries and COVID and everything like that, depth has been an issue. But I think that they've held their own. I'm still satisfied with what the defense has brought to us, considering how young it is. I'm not satisfied, though, with the secondary scoring that we're getting from this offense, right? You're still just getting majority of the goals scored from the first line, though you did have um, Greg Smith and some other guys contributing over the last couple of games here. So that is nice to see, and hopefully we can get back on track with that. But is this team a buyer or a seller at the trade deadline is going to be a big factor here. We're going to find out what Sweeney has in mind, what Neely has in mind, for this team, do you want to push forward in one of most likely the last great years of having Bergeron and Marchand together? Uh, are you going to try and capitalize on that? Obviously, like I said, probably the last year of Krejci as well. Are you going to try and capitalize, or are you just going to try and sell things off? I think that these young goalies' performances as giving uh, given us a reason to want to be buyers at the market instead of sellers. Now, I am completely at this point. Done with Tukarask. I think that I was pretty well close to that in the last playoffs. If you guys have been listening for that long, I was complaining about the fact, obviously, that he left left the playoffs last year. I get that you can talk about how it was supposed to be for a family situation, but I'll get into the fact that he was golfing two days later and not giving a crap about any of that stuff. We can get into it if you really want to, but I'm not going to do that all over again. I'm basically just done with Tuka. And I'm ready to see what some random young goalies have to give to this team. That is kind of the way that the NHL goes sometimes. You just find a hot, young, new goaltender that is on point and and standing on his head to make saves and steal games for you. I think currently, Vladar and Swayman are giving you 100% effort in every game and doing a great job in each one of those. So I'm very excited about that. I like the way that this team is going. I'm ready to be done with Tuka Rask. You can't rely on him anyways. Halak has fallen off from last year. He's getting a little bit older, and he's dealing with COVID right now, so you never know what he's going to be. I like these two goalies. I, I, I just, I'm a fan right now. We are now going to switch gears to some baseball talk. I know I'm not the biggest baseball guy usually because I just like to complain mostly about that sport and how it's ruining the game and has been for years but we do have the Red Sox and uh, you know they uh, started off terribly and started to come back and they are now four and three for us and technically they are actually winning the division right now uh, at this time or at least tied for it uh, because the Orioles are also four and three which is crazy considering they won three of those games against the Red Sox. But anyways, baseball's back. And if anything, even if you don't like baseball, it just means that we're getting closer to summer, right? That's a good thing. So let's all stay positive from that aspect, that we're getting into the better months when it comes to weather. And uh, this Red Sox team has given you a few shining moments to get excited about when you're not trying to be pissed off at the Celtics and you're not trying to be nail-biting about the Bruins uh, or worried about the Patriots quarterback situation, it's nice to be able to turn on the Red Sox and be able to see them compete a little bit. You had an exciting game the other day where you had a walk-off uh, you know, double from uh, J.D. Martinez against the Tampa Bay Rays in the 12th inning, which I actually stayed up for, um, Uh, which was good for J.D. because if you had watched that game earlier in the game, he made a complete bonehead uh, base running situation that got the Red Sox out of an inning where they could have possibly scored another run and and put this game into an easier situation for them. But, you know, that's how it happens. And it's early in the season, so I guess I can't really rag on him too much, though he is a veteran and 
it was a pretty clear uh, base running situation that he should not have been going off of. If you don't remember what I'm talking about, he was standing on second base. Ball was cranked into the outfield. There was only uh, there was two outs already. He just started sprinting as soon as the ball hit the bat, and he was going home no matter what. It was a very catchable ball by the center fielder, and uh, I don't know why JD was running in that situation. Sorry, there was only one out in that situation. So the they got the out from catching uh, the the fly ball to the outfield, and then doubled up JD Martinez easily with him looking dumbfounded running down the third base line to home base. Uh, it was just a funny situation to me and something that was, uh, you know, frustrating from that standpoint because he is more of a veteran player. It doesn't come back to bite you, and he did make up for it by getting that game-winning hit, but that's a situation that you got to watch out for. The other thing that I want to talk about is the fact that this team, if you're talking about it just from a gambling standpoint, if you're not looking at this team and always betting the over in these games, I think you're crazy. I already had said that last week. If you're listening to the gambling portion of the podcast uh, with re- very responsible gambling tips and everything like that, this team has now gone over in its last five straight games, right? That is crazy. Every single one of these last five games has gone over easily. I'm talking, you know, you're getting between 10 to 14 runs in every single game that the Red Sox are out there. And that's due to the fact that they have a good lineup and they have terrible pitching. Those are their two factors right there, right? So one of those two things is always going to pop up in every game. Either the pitchers are going to give up a ton of runs or the batters are going to get a ton of runs, it seems. Those are going to happen in all of these games here. So it's going to be exciting from that side of things. There's going to be a lot of runs scored, whether you're going to be frustrated that night or you're going to be excited about it. There's going to be a lot of runs scored. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, this Red Sox team is going to be exciting enough to talk about them all year. That'd be cool, right? We'd be able to have another team that maybe is in the mix and at very least give us a little bit of entertainment. I think that that would be good. But the one thing that is going to stop that from happening is the replay system that is happening in baseball. And I want to talk about that a little bit next when we come back. We are talking about the Red Sox right now. And as I was saying in the last segment there, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the replay system and how that's been going for baseball. Now, you know that I complain a lot about baseball and the way that they need to fix things. They need to change different things to make the game more exciting, to make it go faster. Uh, And I think that this year so far, I've already seen multiple calls that have only made things go slower. You had a game situation uh, against the Orioles. Uh, I believe it was either the first or second game of the season, really. And it was, oh man, now I'm kind of uh, blanking on the name. I believe it was Kiki Hernandez who was on first base, I could be wrong on this, and he was getting off the bag, had his nice little lead. They throw over to first base. He gets back to the bag. The bag was a little wet. He slips a little bit, rolls his ankle, actually, and then, you know, the 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 uh, the umpire is questioning, was that an out, right? So now you go into this 10-minute ordeal of a replay situation, I believe in the first or second inning of the game, right out the gate, that just immediately turns off so many fans to the game because you're sitting there arguing over, did the player's foot slip off the bag for enough time that the tag was placed and it's a millisecond difference and it would be a bang-bang, no call in any other year. But now that they're getting into the replay system more and more as we go along, it is just ruining things. I'm a big, uh, you know, person against the replay system in in most sports, in all sports, really. I think that there's too much replay going on, and I, you know, I want more human element. I want the the umps, the refs, to still control a portion of that, that human element of things. That if it was a bang bang play like that, and the ump didn't see it or whatever, it wasn't going to be called. We're not going to sit there for 10 minutes and go call New York and make sure that they have the exact perfect you know, situation there, the perfect out call or perfect safe call, whatever it's going to be. I think you're just taking away more from the game because, like I said, these games need to go faster, not slower. 
You need to get pitchers back up there and throwing the ball. You don't need to be sitting there for five, ten minutes arguing over semantics and and a slippery bag. And if the guy's foot came in, you know, a millimeter off the bag and the glove was technically touching him, is that an out? That kind of stuff just bugs the crap out of me. I I'm not I'm not into watching the baseball or watching baseball to just see long standing replays what's that all about they were supposed to implement a rule where it was only going to be two minutes and yet it continued to go on for upwards of 10 minutes as if that rule does not exist so you know that I've been complaining for years about the fact that I think they should do at least a simple thing as put a shot clock on there a pitch clock on there give them a 24 second give me a 20 second pitch clock where you just got to get up there as a pitcher and throw. No more adjusting your hat and spitting in your glove and rubbing rubbing the rosin bag and all that kind of stuff. I needed to go. I needed to go a little bit faster here. I want these games around two and a half hours, not three and a half hours. And the more replay you implement into these games, the more it's going to just take longer for you to get to the end product. And that's going to slowly, if not quickly, I guess, ruin the game for a lot of younger fans. The The younger fans have such a short attention span that within that 10 minutes, you're going to lose so many viewers who are just fed up with not having the call made on such a, 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 a minuscule moment in the game. It's crazy to me to think that they're still thinking this way and they're going to be stuck on that way for forever. They're just not going to change anything that they do. And you're just going to have replay systems going longer and, uh, you know, situations where the pitchers can just stand on the mound for as long as they want before they throw a ball. It's all just ridiculous to me. I think it needs a change. And though I think the Red Sox could be exciting this year, if the game doesn't change, you're going to lose all your fans within the next 10 to 15 years. I'm calling it right now. I had one last topic that I wanted to really get into here, um, and 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 that is around the golf world. So for you golf fans out there, it is Masters Week, and it's the Super Bowl of golf is what I always call it, and it's a very exciting time. I always love watching the Masters and that course itself, and though now it seems as though players are just mashing the ball way too far and it's making these courses much easier to play, it's still exciting for me as a golf fan uh, to watch the Masters week and see everything unfold there. But the real topic that I wanted to talk about was the Tiger Woods situation. Now, I haven't really touched on this yet um, about the Tiger Woods car accident there. And it really brings it up because of Masters week, because a lot of fans of Tiger Woods or a lot of fans of golf really want to see Tiger Woods at least involved in these situations, right? Regardless of how you feel, he's a polarizing guy. Regardless of how you feel about him, you you have to know as even a casual golf fan that it makes the sport much better when he's involved, whether it's players playing against him, situations uh, you know where he's making a close run and it's exciting and players are fighting him off, or if he's actually in a situation where he can win the Masters, uh, and now you're talking about history and, and historical stats and things of that nature. It's all very good for the sport. But what we have now is a situation where... Tiger Woods might not ever even play golf again, as far as I know. I think that there could be something down the line if he rehabs and really gets back to it. But I know that he, I'm pretty sure after this major accident, has a rod in his leg, major multiple surgeries that were done. So we'll see with a guy who's already had major back problems and spinal fusion and things of that nature, will he be able to come back? But the main thing that I wanted to talk about was the accident itself. And a topic that I've complained about for a long time, uh, which is major sports athletes not having someone to chauffeur them around. I just don't get it. You can even talk about it with movie stars, actors, actresses, whatever. Once you get to a certain level, I feel as though there is no reason you should be driving yourself around at any point in time, you should have a person, a guy, a girl, a, a driver, a chauffeur, whatever you want to call it. You should have somebody to take you to where you want to go. Because I continue to see 
these athletes, and I'm talking of a certain level. Of course, there's athletes that are not making a ton of money. They're not multimillionaires, or, or maybe they're just lower-ranking uh, players, things like that. Those people I'm not talking about for having a chauffeur. I'm talking about the superstar talents that that get into these situations, car accidents, uh, you know, have these uh, drinking and driving incidents, things like that, where it is so silly and so stupid for me to see you not have someone driving you around. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So in this situation, Tiger Woods was driving. I, I'm not actually even sure where he was going in this situation. I haven't looked that much into it. But basically what was happening was he was driving on a road that had a 45-mile-an-hour speed limit, and it has come out that he was driving 82 miles an hour on this road for, for what I can surmise as no real reason. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I get that, you know, when you get to a certain level and you have all this money, you might want to buy some cool fancy cars or something like that. And you like to drive those cars. I get that. So if you had like a Lamborghini or something crazy, I'm not really a car guy, but if you had a crazy car that you were able to drive and you were excited about that, I get that. You want to be able to drive that car. That makes sense. He was driving an SUV. This is Tiger Woods just driving, driving to work, driving, you know, to go practice, whatever it was. He's just driving a regular SUV. It's not even an exciting car. What the hell are you driving at 82 miles an hour on a 45-mile-an-hour zone in your SUV to do what? What were you speeding to get to? I'm pretty sure that anything that Tiger Woods is going to is going to wait for Tiger Woods to show up. There are very few situations I can think of that Tiger Woods needs to worry about being late for. Maybe going to the Masters, maybe being in a tournament. But I think even then, they may give him a little bit of a break. It's Tiger Woods, people. So what I'm trying to say is, you were just driving like a jerk for no real reason. And when people do that, I have a tendency to feel like you just deserve what you get. I'm sorry, I know that it's a terrible situation. And if you love Tiger, then it's a terrible thing for him to get into this accident. But in a way, it was very deserved. Because, like I said, you were of the stature, the level... You are, you know, one of the most, if not the most popular golfer of all time. Generational athlete. You have a ton of money. And you're not driving, you're not getting a driver. You're driving yourself. And on top of it, you're driving like a complete jerk for no reason. And you're crashing your car, possibly ruining your entire career. That's crazy. That is crazy to me. So, Tiger, if you ever get to a situation where you're going to be able to play sport, uh, play golf ever again, Please, just get a driver, not the one you pull out of your bag. I'm talking somebody who can drive you from point A to point B without you crashing and getting into another one of these situations here. Please, it's all I'm asking. It's not much. Now it's time to win you some money with a couple minutes of gambling talk. Okay, we are back with some more gambling picks from the podcast. You're getting mine and my buddy Cam's picks once again. Uh, and after last week, we really need to get back into the win column. Cam had a terrible week, uh, only getting one of his college picks right, and he went 0 for 5 on baseball. So uh, I know that he is going to stick with the baseball picks going forward, but uh, it might be time to start fading uh, what, what Cam is saying about those picks. I myself uh, went 0 and 3 on hockey, 3 and 0 on basketball, and I got my Red Sox. Orioles overpick incorrect, so I went three and four on that one. So that is bringing us both to a record of 77, 82, and three, just a little under 500 still at this point. So we're going to try and get back on track here. Like I said, I know that Cam is going with the baseball picks today, uh, and we will hope that he can get back on track there. And then I have some. Uh, NBA, NHL, and baseball picks all for you. But let's get started off like we normally do with Cam's picks first. Yeah, Cam's best bets of the week. I was just kidding last week with those picks. Now I'm going to start picking for real with the baseball picks here, getting a little bit more in-depth with what I'm looking into here. Starting off, I'm taking the Indians team total over five and a half runs for the boys. I think that this team is pretty solid. 
uh, and gets a lot of runs every game. So I'm expecting them to do the same here against the Tigers and take in the Indians team total over five and a half runs. Next game I'm going with is the Yankees team total over four and a half runs. They're playing against a lefty for the Rays and they love to beat up on lefties. So I'm expecting them to get a lot of runs here. Next game I'm going with is the Padres Rangers over nine runs. Both of these teams don't have great pitching. So I'm expecting a lot of runs in this one. They're going to explode over nine runs in that game. Last one I'm giving you is the Cincinnati Reds to win the first five innings by minus .5. So in the first five innings, after the first five, they'll be winning by one run or more. That's because the Reds just beat up on everybody scoring a ton of runs so far. So those are Cam's best bets of the week. Okay, so that's what Cam has got for you this week. Like he said, he's going to try and get off the schneid here with the bad baseball picks. He's got four solid ones for you right there. Uh, I think that he's going to get back on track because he's going a little bit more in-depth with the picks, picking things like the one team's total overruns, that kind of stuff there. A little more in-depth. There's been a lot of runs scored so far this year, especially with the Red Sox games, which I'll get into in a little bit. But uh, I, I think that he is going to have some good picks this week. Hopefully he can get back uh, on the winning streak here. So let's move on to my picks here. I am starting off first in the NBA. I am going with the Pelicans plus six at home against the 76ers. Now, the 76ers are definitely the better team, but it seems as though uh, the the Pelicans might be getting Ingram back tonight. So I'm very hopeful of that. Alonzo Ball is also uh, questionable for the game, but I think he is going to play as well. So assuming that both of those players play, I think that they're going to be able to at least keep it close against the Sixers team here. Now, obviously, if both those players don't play, it's going to be a lot harder for my pick to happen here. But I have faith that both Lonzo Ball and Ingram are going to start tonight and play very well and keep this one within six points. So Pelicans plus six at home against the Sixers is my first pick for tonight. Uh, I am going next with the Bucks minus eight and a half at home against the Hornets. Hornets are riddled with injuries right now. Don't have Gordon Hayward. Don't have Monk. Uh, don't have... Uh, the other ball brother as well. So I think that the Bucks are going to beat up on them. They have been really solid. The Bucks have been recently, and uh, they're getting on a roll. So I think they're going to take care of them handily here at home. So Bucks minus eight and a half at home against the Hornets. Next game I'm going with is the Nuggets minus eight and a half against the Spurs at home. Spurs have been struggling a little bit here, though they are right around 500. Nuggets have been rolling, and I believe they are getting Murray back tonight. So I am expecting them to win big here in this one and keep it going. So I'm taking Nuggets minus 8.5 at home against the Spurs. The last NBA game I'm going to give you is going to be the Rockets Clippers over 221.5 points here. Paul George has been going nuts lately. I think that that Clippers team, whenever they're healthy and they got the majority of their players playing, they're going to score a lot of points. The Rockets team, sneaky, can score a decent amount. I'm not expecting a ton of defense in this one here, so I'm going to take the over 221.5 points in the Rockets-Clippers game. Next game I'm going to go with is the Bruins game, which will be on Saturday. That is against the Flyers. It is in Philadelphia, and I am taking the Bruins money line here. I know it's only minus 130 right now, but I still think that that's close enough to give you a money line bet on this one here. Uh, I, I do think that the Bruins are going to get back into rolling out a lot of wins in a row here. I'm expecting them to win this one against the Flyers. It's going to be a tough game, though. They have been playing a lot recently, so we're going to see if one of our goalies can step up again. I think they'll be able to, so I'm taking the Bruins' money line on Saturday uh, at the Flyers. Last pick I'm going with is another Saturday pick. I am going with the Red Sox-Orioles over now the line is not out yet i'm expecting it to be either nine or ten runs and i'm still taking the over like i said before i think there's going to be a lot of overs this year for this red sox team whether it's due to our pitching being bad or our bats being good 
Either way, it's a recipe for a lot of overs, so I'm going to be taking that pretty much every week. Um, like I said earlier in the Red Sox segment, the last five games the Red Sox have played in have all gone over. Uh, they only didn't get it in the first two games there, but it's been five in a row now since. And in this game, it is going to be Garrett Richards against Zimmerman for the Orioles. I think there's going to be scoring once again in this one. So I'll take the over there in the Red Sox-Orioles game. It'll most likely be either 9 or 10. Even if it's 10, I'm taking the over. So... Those are the bets for this week. All right, that'll do it for another episode of The Claptrap. I appreciate everyone for tuning in, listening to all these ridiculous takes that I have to give. Uh, Just so you guys know, I am now up on the radio on 90.7 WKKL. So if you want to give a tune into that, if you're down the Cape, or you can find it online uh, at uh, WKKL.FM if you're listening online that way. So another great way to do that. But uh, I am also putting it up on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and I have a new website uh, the Claptrap at Pod page. Um, so go and check that all out. I'm also up on Instagram and on Twitter, always giving you the no- newest updates and everything going on with the show. So lots of big things coming up here. I'm hoping to keep making this bigger and bigger. Hopefully we'll get Coach Kamara back next week as well. And I'll see you again next week. Later. Later.